every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Hard living is the life for me. On another beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, why don't y'all come on around back and get our hands in the soil. It is the fourth Saturday of the month here at Rosie on the House. Eight o'clock hour, outdoor living hour, which means we have Farmer Greg and we're talking garden watering. Farmer Greg, welcome to the program. Hey, hey, thank you as always. Love chatting about everything urban farming. And all things farming revolve around, just like everything else in life, water. And we're yeah. going to talk today about ways you can water your garden. Yeah, and there's so many ways to think about it. And you, you know me, I'm all about permaculture. And so I call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. So how do we work in the flow of nature? And one of the big premises, is that the proper way to say that? Premi? Premises? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. One of the big premises of permaculture is stand back and observe. Pay attention to what's going on in your space. And the second thing is you, we have to be thinking about our landscape as a whole system, not just independent of any one of these things. So when I think about my watering here at the urban farm, I have to think about where does water come from? You know, the automatic answer in the city is, oh, it comes from the tap. <laughs> and tap water is a great thing. And there are many other places that we can actually discover water to use in our landscape. Uh, you have any thoughts on what some of those might be, Romy? Well, we obviously have the very infrequent rain. <laughs> right. Yeah, we only got four and a half inches last year. But, but that's still four and a half inches. But that's still four and a half. And I get this all the time from people. They say, well, we don't get that, that much rain here. Why should we bother? And that's exactly the point. We don't get that much rain here, so we should absolutely bother, bother to collect that rain. So, And then here at the Urban Farm, we have flood irrigation. And 32 years ago, when I bought the Urban Farm, uh, my first thing on my list was flood irrigation because I grew up on a property uh, near 28th Street and Indian School that had flood irrigation, and I knew the value of it. So I have flood water here. Uh, then gray water and we do a whole segment on rainwater and gray water here in the summertime, but gray water is any water that goes down any sink in your house, any drain in your house, except your toilet or your kitchen sink. And it is legal in the state of Arizona to use that water in your landscape. You just have to figure out how to get it out there. So one of the things that I've done here at the urban farm is I've actually moved some of the systems outside. So I have an outdoor sink, couple of them and an outdoor shower so that when I use those facilities, the water actually goes into the landscape. And then that saved you from having to replumb separate gray water piping from an established home that obviously was built long before we had gray water, black water, dual drain systems. Exactly. Exactly. And I have done that to one of my bathrooms. One of my bathrooms has gray water plumbed out through the wall. So that's a possibility. It just takes more work. And, uh, the, you know, some people ha in uh, Arizona have well water, and well water has its own challenges. You probably are going to want to have it tested for whatever they would test. Uh, Usually arsenic. About every arsenic. six months is what they recommend. 
Oh, very good. And IAS Labs is a great lab here in town. Sherry over at IAS Labs uh, can help you with your testing. Um, and so those are the kind of the normal ones that people think about on ways to get your garden watered. And uh, there's a couple more that people don't normally think of. First of all, there's the evaporative cooler water. You know, for those of us that have and love our evaporative coolers, using the runoff from that is good. Uh, depending on how many times it runs through the system though, it gets saltier or more minerals build up in it. So you have to pay attention to that. One thing that most people don't think about is condensate water coming off of your air conditioning. And if you know, it's that little drip that's by the side of the house where the water's just dripping off the house in the summertime, especially when it's humid, you would be shocked at how much water comes off of your your uh, condensation from your air conditioning unit. And that's just about as pure as you can get. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's, it's water that's evaporate, you know, evaporated out of the air, condensed out of the air. There's, it didn't come through any kind of uh, water treatment plant or calcium buildup from the riverways in Arizona. Yeah, our, our tap water is high in minerals. So, you know, that's one of the things that we have to address with tap water. So, you know, those are the main ways that you can think about watering your garden. And I just tell people to get creative, you know, is there something that that we're not thinking about that you're seeing water coming from? It's like, wow, go for it. Um, In addition to the sources of water, the application of water has really come a long way too, where we used to always see just flood your gate, you do your row gardens and you flood it, row gardens and flood it, your row crops yep. and farm flood it. That's not so much the case anymore. No, we've got some, uh, we've got some great ways to, which we're going to be talking about a little bit, uh, actually talking about a lot later on in the hour. So uh, the different ways to actually get your garden watered. But before we got there, I wanted to step into the, you know me, I'm always here. You got to think about this differently. The di first thing we need to do is observe where's our water coming from. The next really important thing in this whole process is build a landscape that holds water. You know, we generally don't do that here. You know, when you're driving around today, look, look out there and see how many landscapes have gravel. Gravel are hot, gravel, I'm sorry, gravel is hot. It doesn't hold water, dries out very quickly when the water does show up and, um, so transitioning away from that gravel, if you want a healthy landscape, is something that's really important. And I know you've done a lot of that out where you're at, right, Romy? Well, yeah, we bought a property that had nothing on it. So we've, uh, you know, we have added some gravel, some quarter one minus for the driveway, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, around the driveway, the, around the orchard, um, and kind of the back area where there's there's a floodplain. You know, we just remulch and recompost and rechip all of our uh, right. leaf drop and, and tree trimmings right back onto the soil. Exactly. And there's a great service out there called shipdrop.com that will will coordinate you getting in contact with a tree service and will give you a dump load up to 30 cubic yards of woody mulch. And so what so this is, tree trimmers that are out in the field, they have to pay to dump their load. Uh, at the at the landfills. Well, if you want mulch, you can contact and sign up for a counted chip drop, and they'll come drop it to you. Now, there's very good 
you know, great repurpose, great, great regenerative, great uh, stewardship of the environment. But if you need it decorative for the front <laughs> area or something specific, it's they, not that. they can't tell you, you know, you don't know if this came from a mesquite tree and two ash trees. You don't know what variety of tree trimmings you come from. So if you need something right. controlled and specific, then that's where you go to, uh, you know, your landscape material supplier in exactly. order to your bulk lo- load from there. What's coming exactly. to you isn't screened or graded, It's but it's going to be a bunch of free mulch. Oh, yeah. And it's a great way to do it. Absolutely. Uh, Arizona Worm Farm has screened mulch. If you're interested, you can contact them. Uh, they do a great job of their screened mulch. So why add mulch, especially to dirt areas? So uh, I'm going to cover in a minute the healthy soil, you know, five components of healthy soil, but dirt is one of the components of healthy soil. But if all you have is dirt to grow in, good luck growing anything. So I, enc- I highly encourage if you have a dirt backyard to put nine to 18 inches of woody mulch in your backyard. And what'll happen with that is over the course of 18 months, that 18 inches will go down to about four or five inches of really nice, healthy soil. And what happens is, is that the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, very quickly, it starts breaking down. And within two to three months, if you dig down underneath the woody mulch, you're going to see healthy soil forming and all the organic matter uh, uh, growing uh, in from the woody mulch into what looks like what you would call soil. And it the woody mulch builds soil, it attracts microorganisms. And the other thing that it does, and you know, going to the point of today, getting your water, your garden watered, is that it holds on to the water. It's like a sponge. And the thicker it is, if you put down two inches, it's not gonna hold a whole lot of water. If you put down 10 inches, uh, it's gonna hold a lot of water. I was out at a friend's house out in Tempe about four years ago, and it was February. And the last time that he'd got rain uh, in his yard was November. So it's four months later. And I asked him, this was Jake Mace when he was living here in town. And I asked him for a shovel and I dug down he had two feet of woody mulch in his yard. I dug down to the, you know, 18 inches in and it was wet. And I said, Jake, have you been watering this? He said, absolutely not. That's from the rain. It's the comparison to the forest of you're just expediting that process a lot faster than the forest built up naturally. But exactly. it's the same stuff that's on the forest floor. You're just putting it on your yard and starting that as your base. And that yeah. is, you know... Basically, the the starting point for all gardening is right. you know, is is amending is making your soil recipe, getting it good growing condition. Because uh, what, what's the statistic you share about how many uh, how much organic matters in the Arizona dirt? Yeah, there's less than one percent organic matter in Arizona soil and Arizona dirt, and that's just you can't do anything with that. So can't do anything with that. Sure, so you can put 18 inches of chip woody mulch there you on go. it. <laughs> right, you can't grow anything with that. Well, let's go there real quick. Let's you know, and I I like to talk about this as many times as I can in a given week. And some of your listeners, if you listen to me often, you know I preach and pontificate about building healthy soil because the single most important thing that we can be doing right now 
is building healthy soil if you want to be building a healthy garden. And, and there's that, com those right. components, your recipe, we'll start with yeah. right after this. We're out on the farm today, but we didn't have to go to the back 40. It's the farm right there in your backyard, the urban farm, turning your own living space around your home castle or cabin into your own food forest. And to do that, we have to start with healthy soil. As we were going to the break, Farmer Greg was just getting ready to dive into his his soapbox, the five components of healthy soil. <laughs> yeah, I am a uh, I am emphatic about this. So I'm going to leave the, the, the obvious one till last. So the five components of healthy soil are airspace. Your soil needs to breathe. Dirt. That's the broken down rock that's got minerals in it. But if that's all you have, good luck growing anything. Organic matter, which is anything from compost to planting mix to woody mulch, everything that's alive in the soil, and water. So in order to have healthy plants growing, you need healthy soil, which includes water. And, it, you know, that's making sure that the soil is fluffy enough that the water can get in. So, um and the, the fix is always add more organic matter, especially here in the desert. Because all those things come after it. The airspace comes. The mm -hmm. dirt's already there. We got plenty of dirt. Yep. Uh, so you're just adding the organic matter, which helps add to airspace, and that just creates things living once the water's inducted and introduced with it. Yeah, exactly. So to grow healthy soil, add organic matter, add woody mulch. You never put woody mulch in a garden. Uh, so what you add to your garden is planting mix, compost, fully broken down compost, that kind of stuff. Woody mulch goes around the basins of your trees, in your walkways. And if you have a, and I get this a fair amount in my garden consults that I do with people, you know, they have a big dirt backyard. It's like, well, cover it with 12 inches of woody mulch. It uh, holds in the water, it builds healthy soil and especially in the desert, it holds down the dust. I've had multiple people come tell me that when they added 12 inches of woody mulch to their backyard, their dust level in their house went down dramatically. So there you go. Back to water. Um, use every, and this again, this is thinking about your property as a whole system. Use every opportunity to build mulch basins and install permeable, land, permeable landscapes to get that water soaking in. You don't want to, especially in the desert, you don't want to be running that water off your property. You want to be getting it into the sponge areas of your yard and the mulch basins and, and like that. And then before we actually jump into water itself, uh, there is one more thing that's absolutely imperative and that's shade. And what's obvious for most people, and what was obvious for me until about five years ago, was that, uh, you know, we want to put up shade around our house. Put a shade arc around your house. Shade the east side, the west side of the house. The You know, you can even put the arc around the north side of your house so that uh, during mornings and afternoons, your house is shaded. And why do we do that, Romy? Microclimates. Yeah, to keep that heat out. You know, my west wall of my office, without shade on that wall, the heat permeates through that wall 
and comes right into my office. Once I put the shade up, the air conditioning bill in my office is drastically different because of that shade. We can do the same thing with soil. You want to shade the soil. You never want to have bare dirt or bare gravel in your yard. You want to have something growing. And one of the things that I discovered um, a few years ago was that if I have a ground cover growing on my garden in the summertime, the difference in temperature can be 40 to 60 degrees at ground level. In August of a few years ago, in four, at four o'clock in the afternoon, it was 140 degrees at ground level. It was 120 degrees, six inches down. Underneath the cowpeas and the sweet potatoes in my front yard, it was 89 degrees. That is the difference between your garden and fruit trees and trees making it through the summer. Plus by having that shade there, it doesn't evaporate off the water as fast. These are some of the strategies that I want you to think about, about getting your garden watered. And shade isn't total blackout. All of your uh, vegetables need a significant amount of light to photosynthesize and grow. Right. So it's yes. not just going out there and putting up a bit, big black sheet. You have to, or putting exactly. it under the darkest part of your tree canopy. Yeah, it's not about totally shading. It's about thinking through the processes in your yard and putting in what's appropriate. You know, I always tell people to put, you know, desert trees on the west side of their yard, on the west side of their garden, because that yep. will give you afternoon shade and that will help hold the water in. And they can take the west beating heat at the end of the day. Exactly. Mesquites, Palo Verdes, and especially native mesquites and Palo Verdes, because both native mesquites and Palo Verdes, they're uh, much more adapted to the low desert. Plus, they both put off a bean that, that you can eat. And if you've never tried uh, Palo Verde beans, they taste like edamame, and mesquite beans taste like the sweet, delectable treat. And if you stay tuned to Rosie on the House as we get into the hot summer months, you'll be hearing us with Farmer Greg talking about harvesting those mesquite beans. But right now, you know the sound of that music indicates bottom of the hour news break. We're going to come back and talk about more uh, irrigation techniques to reduce your water consumption, your water use, but be just as effective in your urban garden. Already halfway through our hour, Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm helping encourage you to grow a little of your own. There's many benefits to growing your own food. One, uh, it saves on therapy bills. So I've been told, and there's been multiple reports <laughs> right. on this, the, 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 the busyness and the freeness that uh, your mind and hands have working in the soil is irreplaceable. Uh, it's very rewarding once you have your own growing and you're harvesting your own. Uh, and two, it gives you a little bit... Uh, uh, of an insulated layer should there ever be um, a bump or a hiccup in the supply delivery system as we've seen various uh, occasions over the, the decades we've lived here in Arizona, whether it was a broken gas line, a blown transformer that had to come from California. COVID. COVID. <laughs> right. You know, there's plenty of things that have hiccuped the uh, the supply chain, and this just gives you one more insulating barrier of preparedness and yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's one more thing too. You know, for those of us, especially in the COVID time, when I'm sitting in front of my computer for eight to 10 hours a day, when I'm up and moving in my garden, 
and bending over and squatting and, you know, I'm moving different muscles. That is keeping more fit, me more physically fit. And my partner, Heidi, is a yoga teacher. And so she's always working with me to make sure that I, um, that I what stay yo- moving. What yoga move do you use when you're picking tomatoes? Ah, squatting. You know, uh, dec- uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, squatting was the way to, you know, that they squatted down. And what's missing in our culture now is that squat. So, uh, you know, getting down on your haunches and with your feet underneath you and squatting, that helps a lot. Um, and then just, you know, moving in different directions, making sure that you uh, aren't just moving the same linear way all the time, moving, you know. Uh, moving your arms in different ways. Anyways, we could do <laughs> well, we could do hours one, on yoga well, for gardeners. There was a famous radio broadcaster that always joked every time a new diet came out, and he's all, "Yep, pretty much what we've been saying forever: eat less, move around more." <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. What's the yoga move with the dog? Is it uh, oh down dog? Uh, down yes. dog. Does down dog work when you're in the garden? Um, well, you could, I mean, you know, that's more a yoga move than a garden move. But, does yeah. your dog work in the garden? Uh, she absolutely does. She chews up sticks. Perfect. There's your Woody Mulch there supplier. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. And here's what I'm, you know, I, when I was creating the, uh, the script for today, the talking points for today, Romy, it was like, man, I'm wondering if I'm going to have enough to talk about. And here we are over halfway through the hour, and we haven't talked about watering your garden at all yet. <laughs> Everything. So we get to it? We got to build, we got to build to it. Everything's, you got to exactly. start from the basics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, you know, the, one of the big things that I do in all of my education is I teach people how to think. You know, I don't just tell people how to plant a seed. I teach people how to think through the whole process. So that's what the first half was about. And I think we can listen, re-listen to this on your podcast, right? Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to hear this again, you can, um, rosieonthehouse.com slash radio and today's broadcast, the eight o'clock outdoor living hour. There you go. Excellent. So designing a garden appropriate watering system and schedule. Those are two really important things. And so they're the different ways that you can actually water your garden. And of course I have my favorite way, but we'll get there. The different ways are hand watering. That's great for meditating. Uh, it does take a lot of time and attention. So if you're you know, at home all the time and, and can pay attention to your garden on a daily basis, going out there with a hose and watering, that's a great way to do it. It's just, that's probably not the best thing for most of us out there because you don't want to forget, especially in the summertime, you don't want to forget your garden for a day. It's funny how many garden experts we've interviewed over the last 20 years. And when asked what's your favorite watering system, so many of it say, oh, buy a hose with a hand and you just get, you know, one of those adapters on the end that has a shower head spray. And, yep. you know, it's just a matter of those type of dedicated gardeners isn't yes. everyone else listening. You know, we've, right, exactly. we've got to add some automation. We've got to add some irrigation, some timers, some modern technology to help uh, compensate for the time that we're not out there watering by hand. And paying attention to your garden, right? Exactly. Because one of the things that I like to do in my yard is I like to set it and forget it. You know, I, my watering system, I adjust twice a year. I'm, I water more in the summer, in warmer months, and I water less in winter months. Other than that, it's automated. 
So there's, then you mentioned traditional drip systems. I'm not a fan of traditional drip systems because what happens with them is that the pressure is different from one end to the other. So you'll get a lot of water at the beginning and not so much water at the end. Um, so if you already have what, go ahead. It's easy to overload. EVs, e, yes, exactly. Um, overhead watering isn't the greatest way to do it. So sprinklers and that kind of stuff, especially with the chlorine and salt, we're gonna talk about chlorine in a little while, but the chlorine and, and minerals slash salt that's in our water, it's hard on the plants. So what we really wanna do is get the watering down at, at the root level, at the ground level. Um, and so we, you know, we try and stay away from overhead watering. And uh, one of the other pieces about watering your garden is you never want to put your gardens and flowers on your trees and shrubs zone. And we're talking about zones here in, in a little while. Uh, they need to be on different watering segments or zones of your gardening system. And uh, my favorite way to water a garden is called drip tape. Drip tape is a lay flat, laser cut tape that uh, you lay out in your garden. And the way that it works is that it pressurizes evenly through the entire system before it starts leaking. So if you have a 40 foot length of drip tape, you're gonna get the same amount of water at the beginning as you are at the end. And it's easy to install. It's like Tinker Toys. So drip tape's my favorite. I give classes on it. In fact, a week from Saturday, a week from today, uh, we're going to be um, doing a drip tape class online. People can go to our website and find out about that. And that drip tape, does that stay pressurized constantly? It does not. It comes up. So you put it on uh, on a zone. And when the zone turns on, it pressurizes evenly. And then the zone turns off and it deflates, it lays flat again. And, and is this the, subterranean or sitting on top of your soil? You can do either way. I like it sitting on top of the soil. That way, if there's a breaker uh, breach in it, it's easy to see. Uh, and um, yeah, it works great. The, it, so the cool, two cool things about it is it pressurizes evenly and the salts can't build up on it. The way that it's designed, you don't get a salt build up on any of the drip tape so it doesn't clog that way either. So it, I've actually had five year runs of drip tape in my, in my front yard. It'll that, run, it'll sitting on top years. of the ground for five years. That's pretty impressive. And that's it's pretty, not expensive. So at each five no, years, you don't have this huge infrastructure cost that you're replacing. It's not. Uh, we did put together a package at Urban Farm teaching people, first of all, they take classes and we teach them how to uh, install it. Uh, secondly, drip tape is a farmer's project. So the way you buy drip tape is 5,000 linear feet at a time because they build it for farmers. So what we've done at the urban farm is we've downsized that. We make uh, 100 foot rolls so people can get 100 feet of it at a time and all the parts that they need in order to make a drip tape system happen. Outstanding because 5,000 feet <laughs> and I'm trying to think about that as it applies to your uh, third acre lot. You could go from oh. front to back. <clears throat> you, I think you could cover every square inch on your property and still have Pretty drip much. tape left over. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So a couple of times a year we get together and we take the 5,000 foot rolls, make them approximately 100 feet at a time and 
and uh, makes it super simple. Plus, again, we teach people how to do it. Um, so that's watering for your gardens. Uh, watering for shrubs and trees, you really want to avoid drip irrigation on shrubs and trees. Drip emitters, drip emitters do one thing really good. They point the water into one place. But if you have a tree with a canopy that's six or eight or 10 feet, and you have one drip emitter underneath it, and that drip emitter is going off once a day for 15 minutes, that it's not deep watering the tree. So use bubblers instead of drip emitters, if you can. If you can't, we've created a product called a drip ring. And um, we have them, you know, uh, you can buy big rolls of this stuff. Basically, it's a, uh, a quarter inch pipe that has a drip emitter every eight inches, six, every six or eight inches. And so our drip rings have nine, have 18 drip emitters in them. So they're putting out nine gallons per hour. It's a half hour, half a gallon per hour drip emitter. And so there's 18 of them. So you're getting a lot of water. And for trees and shrubs, you wanna give them a good deep water every week to two weeks rather than every day. And there so, is a little math to that drip system. <clears throat> when you were talking about you know, your, your multiple emitters, well, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean your drip system can hold an infinite amount of those because each drip valve, the valve controller for it, I believe, regulates the pressure to, is it 68 gallons a minute? Uh, my, it's, it's been a little while, but it has to keep the pressure low enough because the drip pipe isn't something that's glued together. It's all pressure tension and it right. can only hold a certain amount of PSI. So when, you, when you're installing, you install a certain valve that makes sure it never pushes more pressure down the pipe than the yes. system is designed to hold. So you have to know those those numbers to know when you're, you know, where your limits are on uh, on your drip. Exactly. Well, and then drip tape, we have to knock it down to 10 psi. You know, my my water comes out of the tap here at 60 psi. If I put drip tape on 60 psi, it'll blow the whole system out. So wow. we have to re we have to reduce. That's part of our classes. We have to reduce that down to ten psi. That's when it's called geyser tape, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And the nice thing about ten psi is there isn't a house out there that's getting less than that. You know, you might find a occasional time here or there it's thirty, forty. You know, low pressure right. from the city, but everyone's got at least far beyond ten psi. Yeah. Right, exactly. So if you're putting a drip tape system in, it has to go down to 10 PSI. And then there's chlorine in the water. Now, chlorine is really important till it gets to your meter because it delivers healthy, safe water to our houses. But once it you know, gets into your house system, you wanna be able to take it out. And the, you know, put I, we have, um, we have spigot systems that people can install on a spigot that will take the chlorine out. Um, there's uh, that's a hose system. There's whole house systems, but chlorine is designed to kill micro microbes in the water. And if you're putting chlorinated water on your soil, remember the five components of healthy soil: dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. 
if you're putting chlorine on that, you're negatively impacting the soil life. So you want to take that chlorine out. And I know you have some great uh, organizations on that are ROSI approved for uh, chlorine systems for chlorine removal systems for your houses. So make sure you get that done. That's really important. Plus, you don't want chlorine on your skin. Down to our final segment with Farmer Greg talking about garden water and how to properly do that in the desert. And drip tape is an extremely effective way. Farmer Greg's just been talking about it. It reduces the amount of water that we would have traditionally used in a flood uh, row crop, but it doesn't decrease the effectiveness of watering your garden properly. Uh, But there's also a lot of other things you have to do uh, with your irrigation system. And we're going to do just a quick uh, bird's eye view snapshot about uh, an ir- all the components of an irrigation system. Great. And one of the, so people generally don't get introduced to how irrigation systems work. And it starts with zones. And a zone is any place in your yard that you want to get water to. And the zones have to be designed to a particular size. So you'll have to do a little bit of research about what that is. And so in my, in my yard, I have a back patio zone on my irrigation system. I have a back garden zone on my irrigation system. So that's two zones. I have, and then in the front yard, I have two zones. I have the zone that's right up against the street and I have the zone that's right up against the house. And what happens is, is the timer calculates and delivers the water for me. So at six o'clock every morning, zone one, which is on my back patio, comes on for four minutes and it waters all the pots on the back patio. And then zone two comes on and waters the backyard gardens for I think six minutes. And then it trends and then after that turns off, then zone three comes on, runs for 20 minutes, and zone four comes on and runs for 20 minutes. So that's generally how zones work. And you're gonna have to think about your yard in zones and what you want to get them watered. And zones, not only just location, but it can also be plant type. You wouldn't want trees and shrubs on the same zone. Uh, If you have a little lawn area, that's a different zone. So it's not only location, but plant type. Exactly. So your lawn is on one, could be on one zone. Your garden beds are on another zone. Your fruit trees are on another zone. And each of the zones can be uh, delineated by how much water, how long they get watered. So my back patio zone gets four minutes, whereas the front garden beds where we grow a lot of our groceries gets 20 minutes. So that's the cool thing about setting up the zones is that, um, oh yeah, and the other thing you can say is, all right, zone one gets watered every other day and zone five with all my fruit trees gets watered every two weeks. So there's there's different ways to do that. So you've got your, your zone set up and it starts with the timer. The timer tells the valves when to turn on and how long to stay on so that the water, you know, is going out into your landscape. And then out of the, out of the valves, that's each each zone has its own valve. That's really important to know. So if you're going to have four or six zones in your yard, you're going to have four or six valves. Uh, and then from there, you put your uh, irrigation system in whatever it is. And you can have uh, you can have uh, bubblers, drip, drip you can, exactly sprinklers, sprinklers, 
on each, you know, on different zones, and that works just fine. And each one of those has a limit to how much water it can equally and properly distribute. And that's exactly. just, you know, that goes back to getting a PSI check at your house and doing the proper design to make sure, you know, you're not overloading the zone because uh, it's once you've got it installed and you find out you're under <laughs> supplied, that's a big project going back and adding uh, making up for that. So make sure you yeah. design it properly because once, uh, you know, that, that sprinkler trench line dig up, that's only a project you want to do once. Once, exactly. Exactly. So uh, next Saturday, uh, we're actually doing a, a two to two and a half hour segment on watering and fertilizing your garden where I'm actually going to go in depth on installing a drip tape system. So uh, I talk about zones and timers and valves and uh, PSI and making sure you do all that right. And I, I actually have a PowerPoint showing you how to do all of that. So that's available. It's free. If you go to urbanfarm.org uh, at the bottom of that first page, there's a schedule of our events and you can sign up there. And this is a virtual event currently? It is. Yep. We're doing it online. You know what? I love doing things online. I love doing things in person, but I found that online, it's it's much easier for people. They can just drop in for 20 or 30 minutes and get what they need, and they there's no driving involved. So we're, we're having a lot of success with online classes. And what time does this start on Saturday? Um, I can't remember. I think it's 9.30 or 10. So go to urbanfarm.org. The, the listing will be there with all the other events that you can sign up for along with the Urban Farm podcast. Exactly. I got one more thing for you real quick. We have a, uh, a website, urbanfarmwater.com, that has classes on drip tape and water harvesting and all kinds of stuff. You can sign up for that for free. And I love your last talking point here. Make sure your goal for your system is as simple and inexpensive as possible. Yep. Absolutely. These things don't have to be complicated. You don't have to spend $400 to get a tomato. <laughs> that would right? be an expensive tomato. <laughs> oh, I've seen it more than once. Oh, it, it is. It, it's easy to get uh, excited, get encouraged, and then go so overboard you can't keep up or you get overwhelmed and you don't have that success and you just burn yourself out easily. Start yeah. start slow, start steady, and, and grow from there. Urbanfarm.org, yeah. Greg Peterson, the Urban Farmer. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. And... Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Right. <laughs> <laughs>